We are LA Tech Podcast, hosted by Tech Zoo's Esprit Zamora. Rated number two across all of iTunes, new and noteworthy. The first podcast focused exclusively on LA Tech. Get to know the startups fueling this city to become a top destination for tech and innovation. I'm Alex Bloomberg, host of the podcast Startup, and you're listening to We Are LA Tech. Part two of LA Startup Forecast Investors Edition. If you haven't listened to part one yet, go back to the last episode. We have amazing, amazing tips on how to raise money, thanks to Tech Zulu, sponsored by InMotion Hosting, one of my favorite companies in LA, completely supportive of LA Startups building strong websites with a trusted hosting company. Email Jason, that's J-A-S-O-N-H, Jason H at InMotionHosting.com. Mention We Are LA Tech and receive free hosting for a year. Yes, here's the episode. What does Raycroft invest in? Yeah, so primarily focused on Series A. We do both B2B and B2C. Um, so both business-to-business and business-to-consumer uh, startups. And I think, you know, traction... Ha- Traction, we, are, we look at traction, and to Adet's point, that can mean a bunch of different things depending on the type of business. But if you're a revenue-generating business, and don't hold me to this because there's always exceptions, you know, we like to see something in the six figures on a monthly basis. Very, very low six figures or maybe close to $100,000, but that's what we like to see. And again, always exceptions. If you're a consumer app, we want to see really fast month-on-month growth, and we want to see people using your product on a consistent basis, and we want to see that you've been able to reach a couple hundred thousand users. So, I mean, I, you know, those are just helpful benchmarks when you come to, uh, at least I can speak for Greycroft, when you come to Greycroft and you're looking for a, you know, $5 million check or a $3 million check, you're trying to raise a total round of $8 million. Those are the kind of things that, just rule of thumb numbers. And always exceptions. By the you know, way, oh, I, I was just going to say what, what you said is, is actually very, very important. And this gets back to this crispness, right? In other words, do you have a good product? Are you seeing growth of users in that product? And then are you monetizing that? So a lot of times people will say, well, I'll just throw my product out in the marketplace. It doesn't get any traction. You're dead, right? So you've got to be really crisp about this question of, do I understand what I'm trying to do? At which phase am I trying to do it? When I walk in there and I've got you know, a great product and I've got a million installs or whatever the case, and it's still growing and I started to monetize it, go get the money then, right? Because all businesses have their ups and downs and you have to figure out a way around it. But th- this is an issue because people will look at that word traction and a lot of people just take that lightly like, oh, I built a really great product. Now how am I going to get an audience? And in fact, we are now in an era where building product is easier than ever. Making a website is easier than ever. Uh, building apps are easier than ever. A lot of apps look at there and say, I'll just copy what Uber does in terms of the UI, etc. What's really challenging is getting audiences. And, that, and you, we, I see a lot of companies in the seed space where they'll say, oh, well, we kind of stalled here. We're not getting the audience. We don't know how to do it. And then, of course, even in, in the third challenge is can you monetize? That's why these monster companies get these crazy valuations like Snapchat because they're proven the traction. Right, and, and the, the, the leap between traction with audience and traction with monetization is far less than the leap between, you know, a product idea and actually having audiences uh, pay attention. So it's really important to be focused 
on what, what phase of the business you're and in. The hashtag is TZ Startup Forecast if you guys need it. So that's TZ Startup Forecast. Um, so that leads into perfect. Next question is what's more important, great revenue model and no traction or great user traction but no revenue model? What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, since I, so again, I mean, I think you just have to be authentic to the type of business you're building. So uh, up until... I don't know, six months ago, three months ago, Snapchat didn't have any revenue. It's a great example um, that Alan brought up. And, uh, but, but it didn't matter to investors, um, and it hasn't mattered to investors thus far. Not that it's not important that they're not thinking about their monetization and how they're going to do that, but they, they just had such incredible breakaway velocity. They were growing so quickly, sitting on top of you know, the App Store and Google Play. Um, and so it just it depends on the type of business. If you're an e-commerce business, I mean, you have to sell stuff. Like it just because you have a bunch of people coming to your website doesn't mean anything if they bounce off. So it, it really actually sort of depends on the type of business you're building and, and what your vision for the business is. What do you guys think? Traction, uh, no revenue, or revenue, no traction? For us in the bank, it's, it's, I mean, it's really, if you're going to have no revenue, then you have to have really, really, really great investors willing to back you for a long time. Uh, we don't see that in LA that often. Uh, LA is all about making money, and so we see revenue early in LA that you see in the Bay Area. That's a good thing, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's, it's, it's a, why, why do you say maybe? Uh, well, I mean, if you look if you look at the great companies that have been formed in the last ten years, Google, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Snapchat, as an example, none of them. In fact, Google didn't even know what its business model was when 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 John Doerr and Moritz invested them. In. So I think the the issue is what's really, really hard now in this era with all this clutter and all this stuff that's out there is getting crazy traction. If you get crazy traction, there's clearly a belief that, okay, when we decide to turn the money on on Facebook, guess what happened? Boom, right? When we decide, when, when, you'll see it happen with Snapchat. It'll really happen. Now, not all businesses are platforms like that that can have that. So, so most businesses are kind of a more of a blend, like, okay, we're getting some traction. Let's get some revenue. But I would really, really say for all entrepreneurs, traction is really, really important because it's going to be increasingly harder uh, to get because there's so much stuff out there to, to choose from. I'm just in the consumer side. So I, I think these things are related, but rather than saying the word traction, I would say engagement. And then also equal to engagement is, the, is churn. So are you retaining the folks that are using your platform? How are they interacting with your app or, or your website? And the reason I say engagement rather than traction is because traction or growth can often be driven or fueled by capital, right? And so we, so really I prefer, so if you have 100 users but they're using your app for two and a half hours a day or for whatever, for 30 minutes a day, to, to me that's more interesting than if you have, you know, 100,000 users that, you know, log on every other week. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah, Go ahead. I, 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 I want to take a lesson I learned when we started True Car. So many of us were actually part of the Cars Direct experience, so we kind of did that before, and we kind of understood what that means. And I think one of the reasons True Car had the magic that it did is because we didn't actually, yes, of course we aim to make a change in the car industry and all that, but there was some fundamental way that our North Star was about delighting consumers in the way that they buy vehicles. And that North Star really informs that discussion around if you get traction here or there, because traction comes from that 
core of an idea, that same core of the idea that you can't stop doing it because that's who you are, there's something about that core of the idea that is really about delighting people, really making a change in their life in some meaningful way. And typically, when you really stay honest to that, there's some metrics that actually translate into actual numbers that you can show on a slide that go in the right direction because you actually affect people in a positive way. And what are those numbers and how you delight people are usually completely in correlation to one another. So once you understand in a way that what, how you're making this impactful, meaningful change in people's lives when they interact with you and your product, then the numbers are going to tell the story in the same way. Yeah, and, and one of the reasons why the Internet is so good at solving a lot of those problems is because a lot of problems are about intense fragmentation. Uh, so, you know, markets that are super inefficient, processes that are super inefficient, and then all of a sudden something like like eBay shows up or Uber shows up or some other open table shows up which says, oh, wait, now that's a because we can use the Internet, because we can connect to people in a, in a marketplace or an environment like that, I can actually create a really efficient thing out of something that was painful. And and, and so that's where, where that issue of, you know, when I first started using Uber, I thought, oh, my God, this why hasn't this always been around, you know, especially when you're traveling or open table or any of those things? And it becomes this kind of natural, I, I like that term, it, 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 it adds joy or makes it easier for your, for your life. But a lot of it is based on the fundamental idea that that problem is high fragmentation. You cannot solve it in ordinary media, and the Internet is the perfect solution to solve that problem. One of the things we all know in here and we brought up on the panel is that it's really hard to grow startups. So what are the support systems in Los Angeles that you recommend mentor programs uh, that you, you think people should look into to build a smarter company? Amplify. <laughs> so, seriously, you know, what, before we started Amplify, part, part of why I, I, I wanted to start Amplify as a co-founder is because when Amplify is an accelerator. Amplify is an accelerator. And what's an accelerator mean? Let me get to that. Okay, in a second. got it. Um, I never answer short answers. You notice that. By <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, at some point, you get in a point in your career where you want and willing to give back. And the good thing, and what we talked about earlier, there's a lot of people in the LA ecosystem right now that can and actually want to give back. And if you look at the role of the mentor, and not somebody who works for you, that's one thing, not somebody who gives you advice, it's like a, log, a legal advice, should I do this or that? Well, that, that's specific advice. I'm talking about mentorship. 90% of what's going to kill your companies if they die, and I hope they're not, but if they do, is mostly the stuff you didn't know you didn't know about. And the biggest challenge for startups, and the most important thing that you can do to help yourself inside of this ecosystem is to find a mentor. And the mentor has only one function to fill with you, not to give you advice, but to bring to your focused attention all the things you didn't know you didn't know about. And I'm telling you that I constantly have people come to me, and that's part of the role I amplify, and I'm going to do a segue, that say, how can I help? How can I help? And the main challenge we have in this community is all of you guys don't reach out and ask for it. Please do. But where, where should they reach out? That's the problem. We don't know where to reach out. So the funny thing is all the mentors that want to help ask me the exact same question. Come to an event like that, ask somebody, and, and do the bowling alley. So maybe, so maybe, so maybe, this, is, maybe well, this is the challenge, right? That uh, in Los Angeles, we have mentors that want to help, and we have startups that need help, but they don't know where to connect with one another without you know, raising money first or having the right connections. And, well, the, the role of the accelerator is really a good role because 
even like angel investors like myself, a lot of them will be, okay, so we've taken the company through the accelerator. Now we, we want to raise more seed money, but they're not quite ready for a Series A. And so there seems to be a step. A lot of the companies that are coming out of the accelerators have more capital invested by some of the seed players and then they eventually to go to seed. So it's a, it's, a, it's a very important function if you have like you're going to start from zero uh, to go through like an accelerator. We it's keep a good idea. using this term accelerator and I just want to make sure because not everybody knows yeah. what's an accelerator, what's an incubator, what's a venture catalyst, what's an angel, what's the difference between all of those? <laughs> you're in the accelerator. Go for it. Go for it. Uh, so an angel investor is someone who typically is investing their own money um, and, and just actively investing in startups, sort of at the what, what Oded described as the angel round. So you're, you're raising a couple hundred thousand dollars. You're getting the idea off the ground. Maybe you have you know, the, the shell or the workings of a product. Um, and ex- I mean, I should let Oded uh, explain what an accelerator is, but I'll give it a shot. I mean, it's, it's a, you know, a, an organization that basically also invests money uh, oftentimes at terms that are set, but not always. Um, sometimes in, in a class structure where they say, okay, now for spring of 2015, we're accepting applications, but not always. Um, and uh, and oftentimes there's a physical working component to it as well. So in, in the case of Amplify, they have a building. It's in Venice. It's beautiful. You should go visit. And, and their companies work out of – the companies that they invest in work out of Amplify. And they also provide a lot of mentorship, uh, you know, a network of people who help out. Uh, a sense of community, and so it's it's very cool, uh, especially if, if you're kind of on the lonely, you're on that lonely path of being an entrepreneur in the beginning. An incubator uh, is not dissimilar, but but oftentimes will have a much greater hand in starting the business, and will have a larger percentage of the company that they that they take, um, and then you get to uh, venture capital firms uh, across a variety of stages, and and we basically. Just in you know, we invest. We take minority stakes uh, in exchange for investment, and um, we're with you for the life of your company. So it really is like you're finding a partner, you're finding a, another business partner. It's in our interest to help you grow because we only make money when you either sell or when you IPO. I mean, those are really the only two ways that venture capitalists make money. And I talked about earlier there being LPs, limited partners that that we answer to as as a VC fund. We have to return all the money that they give us. So if we raise a fifty million dollar fund, we have to return basically almost all you know almost all of that money before anyone at the firm can even make any you know make any money on in terms of upside. That's that's not salary, and so uh, that's that's sort of the Let, spectrum. Let's share. I mean, Amplify is great. Let's like, well, yes, go ahead. Do your homework. I mean. If you if you see a VC or, or somebody has done it before, like Alan or, or that, you know, and you want to meet them, do your homework. Look at their blog, look at their Twitter feed, look at everything so that when you actually get the chance to meet that person, there's something that you can connect with. You know, it, I mean, I know LA is big, but it's not that hard. The, the tech community is not that big where if you put your mind to meeting somebody, you can find a way. You know, you can come to one of the events, you can get a law, your lawyer your temp CFO, me, you know, any of the service providers, like that's kind of what we do. Like we can help you introduce to people, but you can't need to do your homework because I'm not going to do it for you. You need to tell me, hey, I want to meet so-and-so and this is why. And this is what I can bring to that person. And then sometimes I can facilitate that. Like I'm going to ask the person if they want to interview you, but if you don't do your homework, I don't think anybody's going to do it for you. One other one aside from Amplify though, what's one mentor program that you guys know about that people should maybe look into? 
we see, I mean, we see companies coming out of 500 startups, Y Combinator. You know, there's a bunch of those up, especially up north. And, um, and there was, there were, there were more down here. But I think Amplify is the one is, is the one certainly in, in this part. Of so do this. If you guys have any question about finding a mentor, and you want to find a mentor, and you just really don't know how, or maybe you're shy and you're just uncomfortable with that kind of exchange, that's what we are LA Tech is for. And I'm just saying that because I. I'm sitting here because I want you guys to succeed. I'm committed to your success, and I won't have it any any other way. And every panelist here has a good heart, and they're committed to your success, too, because these are really busy people that have a lot of stuff to do, and they're spending their night with you. So if you have any question that doesn't get answered tonight, if you don't know how to reach out to a mentor, just reach out to me, and then I'll facilitate that to make sure you're taken care of. And kind of, oh, yeah, go ahead. She's, she's the Terminator. She's <laughs> There's one cool mentor program that's new, new-ish to LA, which is called Pay It Forward Labs, and they're just events where there's mentors there, and then super mentors, which is just meant to be people that invest or have experience as entrepreneurs, and you can go and book time with mentors um, and, and schedule 20-minute sessions, and so it's, it's a nice resource, and there's a couple hundred people there that can be helpful at every event. And uh, I almost forgot, TechZulu has mentor speed dating. Yeah, we'll be doing it again. So, again, like, check out TechZulu because they'll have the mentor speed dating. And that I've been involved in that. That's been, like, really fun. And just awesome people come out. And what you do is you talk to them each for, I don't know, what it was, like, 10 minutes. And you can ask them anything. And it's, it's amazing. Um, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a couple questions and we'll go back to questions. We'll kind of, like, bounce around a bit to keep it in, in, interesting. So raise your hand if you have a – yeah, go ahead. What percentage do so, investors typically uh, take when they give money to a startup? I'll, I'll take that as a quick tutorial. So you, you remember the discussion we had about success being the A round and looking back? Let's do the same exercise. So rule of thumb, it almost doesn't matter how much money you raise. Your A round investors are going to take about 30% of your company. And they're going to more or less insist that 20% additional is going to be reserved for your option pool. So typically, 50% of the common is going to remain with the original founders, and the rest of the 50 is going to go 30, 20. You're again, using a lot of terms, common and option board. you got to tell them. They might not know okay. what that is. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Fair enough. Um, you want me to go through all of this? Go for it. I mean, that's what we're here for. Okay. We're here to learn. So the, similar to what was said earlier, the 30% investors, typically their particular prefer would fall on a different class of stock than your uh, original common stock. They're called preferred stock. And generally the difference between prefer and common is the money goes out to the preferred first before it goes into common. And there are a little bit of mechanics there because sometimes there's special preferences, sometimes there's multiple preferences, so sometimes it's not one-to-one. -one. If I put $3 million, I get $3 million, everybody else gets the rest. Sometimes I get as much as 60. But in general, preferred stock works differently than common stock. The 20% option pool is an option pool that actually gets distributed between all of the entities, but it dilutes the original founders, and that option pool is now used in order to attract new talent as they come into the company. Okay, that means that 50% or so of the company, pretty much, if you own 100% of the company, after the A round, you own 50, uh, basically. Now, before we get into the A round, if you remember in our little tour that we did earlier, there's a, there's a, there's a, a the convertible note rounds. And Amplify, the angel investors, the seed round will all fall in convertible note. 
Now it gets a little tricky. So typically a convertible note will say, let's make it simple numbers. So let's say that I'm giving a convertible note with a cap of $2 million. What does that mean? This is important because most of you are going to do notes with caps. So hopefully, I hope this is helpful. Yeah, wait, wait, let's find out. Raise your hand if you're finding this helpful. So I think it's helpful. Okay, okay. thank you. So basically what cap says is this. Let's say that you come to me and I just fall in love with your idea and I'm willing to give you $5 million, but the whole idea of a convertible note is nor you nor I can agree on what the valuation of company is going to be. So we agree that in some later stage, my money is going to convert to the same kind of uh, investment terms that your A round is going to get. Now, the challenge I have is this. I'm putting the money now. The investor is going to put the money a year and a half from now, and by that time, you, my risk level is dramatically different. I should be rewarded for that risk. So how do you calculate that? So the industry, little by little, came up with a set of terms that kind of solved that problem. And kind of solved that problem mean that if by the time you do your A round, a $10 million round, Whatever I put money in has a cap of $2 million. In other words, I don't care how big the round is. If it's bigger than $2 million, then my money comes in a $2 million valuation. So it's the same, okay, with me? So it's the same as we saying the company is worth $2 million now. But if it's not, then we both win. If it's more, then I get the benefit. That way, when I put the money now, I know that if, if the company is wildly successful, I don't get screwed for putting the money first. Okay? That's basically the idea. Now, because of the convertible notes, by the time we get to the A round, now it gets complicated. Because potentially, if we follow the math, the angels got at the million cap. Amplify came in at a million and a half cap. Then we did a series seed First one, we did a half a million at the five million cap. Then we did an L million cap. And then we got the $12 million A round. Go do the math. So generally, there's a little bit of spreadsheeting that's going on. So it says each one of the investors along the way, how much they get. But generally, all of the investors will get their respective percentage as a preferred share like the investors coming in. So ultimately, when you look at your A round, it's not only the A round that's coming in, it's the amortized value after the cap is calculated for all of the investors that came along. But by the time the A round is done, you'll probably have common own 50% and everybody else owns 30 and an option pool of 20, rule of thumb. Did that, did that help you? Okay, great. And I know you had a question earlier, and then we're going to go back into questions up here, and I promise I'll give back some questions for you guys. By the way, yeah. there, uh, Fred Wilson, in his uh, New York VC, has a really good blog about this. His, he has a lot of uh, comments about this, but his perspective is you should try to go no more than 20% dilution on every phase. That doesn't mean you can get there if you're young, or, and if you have, don't have a lot of experience, you might, and you're raising too much money, you know, might not get there, but that that's at least from the entrepreneur's perspective, is a rule of thumb of what they attempt to have happen. Whether you can get there or not is a different. Example of a great idea without traction. Well, no, in fact, you probably can look at a lot of very successful companies now where that idea had shown up before. And part of it could be it didn't get the right engagement. Part of it could be the Internet wasn't quite ready for that. Uh, and part of it could have been, you know, there's, it's not just necessarily whether you got it right. I mean, sometimes it's timing, right? I mean, a lot of all this video and VR stuff is because the web is broadband now. And no one in the entertainment industry was interested when it was not, right? So, so it's not just that issue. So some, you get these perfect storms, right, when, when there's a lot of mobile phones and you 
can do Uber, and that, that works, but that's because there's a lot of mobile phones. Um, so there's a lot of times where you've seen, hey, that idea was, was around an Internet 1.0. Didn't work, but it's now working. Right? So, so it's not necessary. It's, it's also timing. I think is a is a big question. Did that answer your question? Yes. Great. It, I oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to uh, chip in. Uh, I mean, Instagram's a good example. They weren't Instagram to begin, um, right? I mean, you know, so there's definitely businesses that that sort of it's it's a, it's a overused word, but pivot into into either different businesses or they rebrand or what have you. Um, and the other the other thing I would say is that. Um, uh, you know, not everything necessarily has to be a venture-backed business. Um, you don't have to necessarily always raise. I mean, you can raise a little bit of money, maybe friends and families, but a fam- friend from friends and family, from angels. But not everything necessarily needs to have uh, a venture capitalist or a seed fund involved. And it is, to some extent, expensive money, as as Professor uh, Oded Oded pointed out. So I'm going to start calling you that now. So uh, I mean, I, that's the other that's thing. For sure, you could fool some of the people some of the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, um, you know, Vice was a good example. That's a, a company that's been around for 20 years. It was a print magazine. They went bankrupt. They pulled it out of bankruptcy. And when video came along, they found their sweet spot. And now they're it's, you know, $2.5 billion company. So Vice it's, is epic. Yeah. I love Vice. Um, L.A., what makes you excited to be an investor in L.A.? Well, I mean, I think I've said it already. I think uh, L.A. is, uh, you know, it's, it's the mixture of entertainment and e-commerce models um, and, and messaging. I think the, crea- the creative community and the combination of technology and creativity, I think, is creating a new type of company. And it's not just like, oh, we're just regular content guys and we just make content. Most of these companies either understand the role of data, they understand the role of platforms, uh, they, they're, they're operating half like an internet company, half like a traditional, let's say, media company. Um, but that's one of the reasons why it's a unique opportunity, uh, because it's not, it's not necessarily in the mindset of Silicon Valley to create a lot of media-oriented uh, uh, companies. And it's, it, I think it's a big opportunity for, for L.A. And, and, and New York even, but L.A. for sure. And my, my part B to that same question is, do you think we'll ever get close to Silicon Valley? So why are you excited about L.A.? And then do you think we have a chance, even in the next five years, how long do you think that will take? Go ahead. Really excited, and I'm going to steal a lot from Mark Schuster, if you guys don't know him. Uh, read his blog uh, on the other side of the right. table or whatever, two sides of the table. Uh, he's really probably the, the biggest advocate of L.A. Um, and I think there's more companies formed in LA than anywhere else. So just because there's more, there has to be some good ones. Uh, and I also think that now that, that, that there's exits, you know, there, there's TrueCar, there's Cross on Demand, there's a lot of exits here that they're staying, you know, there's IPOs. There's just a great opportunity. And I think LA is about making money. And Silicon Valley was about kind of building the rails for us to make money, for, for you guys to make money. Uh, and so I'm really excited that I think now with broadband and everything, this. It's time to make money through the internet, and that's what LA is about. Great. Lise? So I think that it's always exciting. So I always root for the underdog, and I think it's exciting to see, um, you know, the unexpected emerge as a leader. So that's one of the reasons why I enjoy being in LA. And also entrepreneurs here, um, it seems have a better, you know, have made an investment in the quality of life that they have. Maybe if it's only even in the 20 minutes, you know, from 
walk from house to work, it's still a beautiful 20-minute walk, and so it's nice to be in L.A. I think that one thing that has to happen for any city to emerge as a leader, um, as a hub in this ecosystem, is to be um, very risk-taking. In ter- it, the culture has to support risk-taking. And so as L.A. opts to do that, certainly we could become an important hub, and that could happen in you know, hardware. There's a lot of reasons why we should be leader in hardware. That could happen in distributed network technology that's emerging now and, and is open for you know, any city to pop up and lead. And so I, you know, I'm very hopeful that happens. Um, I'm going to say something that sounds a little strange, and I'm going to explain it. So... I'm excited about what's going to happen in L.A. because I live here. <laughs> now, Drop the mic. This, is not, this is not because when I say I, I don't mean Oded. I mean I as every single one of you. I'm excited to live here because the way you started this discussion is to say you're excited about this community. And that idea is infectious. And we're here because we're willing to support each other. That doesn't happen everywhere. That happens where we live. And it starts in a company that I built because I'm passionate about. And as long as I show up, and when again, I'm not talking about Odette, I'm talking about I. When I show up and I do what's exciting for me, and I'm surrounded by people who are willing to give part of their time to buy people lunch and to do all the things we're talking about, then we create a community that we want to live in. And that's infectious. And then more great things will happen here. That's why I'm excited. tough act to follow um, I'll be more literal I guess I, I I mean obviously there's a lot of very exciting companies here um, many of which we've already mentioned I also think the city is becoming more connected I think there's almost I mean zoom out from tech on a more meta level I mean I think this is really there's a renaissance taking place in LA in some sense the metro line is going to connect downtown to Santa Monica, Playa's really being built up, Microsoft's going in, Google's going in, Facebook's already there, Yahoo's going in. Um, Culver City's become this crazy cool hub of, of you know, the YouTube ecosystem. YouTube's now the second largest search engine on the web, and basically everything ha- having to do with YouTube, you know, around the creators and, and a lot of the business around it is here in Culver City. Um, the mayor's office is making a huge push to, to really, you know, grow things out in downtown. We just moved our offices to the Arts District, um, which raised a lot of eyebrows. Cool, yeah. Um, I know we're in Santa Monica, and we, we used to we used to actually be in Santa Monica on Ocean, and we've literally gone as far east as you can go. Um, and and I, I don't know if you guys have ever spent time in the Arts District. It's an incredibly exciting place to go right now. I mean, there's there's a lot of very cool things happening. So I just think the city is becoming more interconnected. Um, you know. There's really just a lot of development taking place. The food scene's booming. So I, I think it's just a great time to be here. I mean, that ties into my next question is your 2015 forecast. Why don't you continue on what you were saying? You were talking about a lot of, like, Google coming into Marina Del Rey, things like that. Uh, keep going. Playa Del Rey. Thank you. Um, continue. Yes. Yeah, I mean... Specifically look, for 2015. Specifically for 2015. I think it'll be a really... Uh, it'll sort of be... Uh, Come to Jesus, if I can use that term, uh, of a lot of the consumer businesses here. Snapchat's starting to monetize. Uh, they launch, I don't know if there's any Snapchat users here. Chances are there's several. But um, they launched a feature called Discover, and it's now this like 
home page uh, essentially for all these different brands, and they're really showing how they can be a media property and some media platform in some sense. Um, Tinder's started playing around with monetization. Um, you know, there's there's uh, a bunch of e-commerce companies here that are really being primed for IPO, like like Honest Company and Just Fab and what have you. So it, I think it'll be a really telling year for um, you know pushing things to the next level. We have a lot of a lot of talent, a lot of uh, potential energy, and I love to see it continue to continue to go. Awesome. 2015 forecast. Amplify has something like 42 companies. Forgive me if I get the number wrong. But at any point in time, at this point, 15 of them or 18 of them are raising capital. And what we're seeing is by great numbers, most of the capital we're raising right now, and we're averaging about $750,000 of seed investment within three months of joining the program is about our average. Most of that capital is not LA-based. So we're seeing more and more institutional investors that are look at LA as this new center of innovation that's starting to evolve. And the other thing that's interesting is I think 50% of our application almost are not LA-based also. So most of the companies we're seeing right now actually want to come to LA to do that. So when you join these two things, it's an inflection point, and it's exciting. Awesome. Elise, are we doing LA or tech in general? No, LA 2015 forecast. Okay. Um, okay, so I think that, I think as I said, I think LA and hardware makes a lot of sense, and I think that connected home um, and data-driven, so software with the focus on data-driven hardware is going to become increasingly important, and so LA potentially leads here. Um, and so I think that we see leaders emerge in the hardware space that that can potentially develop and grow an ecosystem in which hardware companies are attracted to LA. So I'll go way out on a limb. I'm sure nobody else thinks that. Um, but I see this happening in LA, and, and in, in fingers crossed for its continued growth. Uh I think that there's there's a lot of uh, kind of medium-sized startups now here in LA. I think there's a new crop, you know, Honest, Dollar Shave, companies like that. They're really going to become you know nationwide huge names, and we're going to see a lot of benefit from that. Uh, I'm a little concerned that we all see only good things right now, so that's when, as a banker, I get concerned. Uh, but that's just because I'm a banker, um, and it, I hope that somebody can help us with real estate. It's just such a pain to buy and sell real estate and stuff. So I hopefully one of you guys are solving one of those problems. We have a company doing that, so we can talk. There you go. Because to me, just you know, to a delightful experience with real estate, I would love that. So if anybody's working on that, hurry up. It's Agent Ace, right? Yeah, yeah I think Agent I think, Ace solves yeah, that. Exactly. So they were part of the Tech Zulu yeah. Tech crawl. That's right. Go ahead, uh, Alan. Yeah, I was going to say I, I agree that all the, the there's a lot of companies that should be a, a good number of companies that should be either uh, hitting an IPO or, or being acquired. I think in, in the space that I'm focused at, which is video and VR, video is a really interesting category because the number of buyers that are entering the market. So at the very top, you have Apple, Facebook, Google, Twitter, all those guys. None of them are going to see the video space. Somebody at Apple said to me, well, we might actually... You know, we don't care whether someone tweets some text around. We are never going to see video. We saw what happened with Twitch. We see what Amazon's doing, start launching movies, all of that. So video from those guys. Then you have a whole crop of, of companies that are very powerful television networks in their own countries, and they're going to start buying up a lot of these. A company I was on the board of called Style Hall was bought by Bertelsmann. SoftBank bought Drama Fever. You know, so there's a lot of Pro Siebens and the Collective. There's a lot of these kind of players going on. 
then you've got the wireless players, AT&T, $500 million deal with, with Chernin is here in Santa Monica, and companies like Singtel and all of these wireless because they're seeing the big growth in short-form video that's on the wireless devices. So, uh, and then, of course, you've got the traditional companies that are the powerhouses here in Los Angeles already, the Disneys and the Warner Brothers, et cetera. So you've got a lot of real tension around video and VR. That's why you're seeing craziness already happening. A $2 billion Series A valuation uh, for Magic Leap, $2 billion exit for Oculus. We're just seeing the beginnings of this stuff, but this is a, a category that no one is going to give up on, and they're going to fight to the death to actually uh, win that. And I think companies that are in that space are going to benefit you know, if they if they have a you know ability to to uh, to get any kind of traction at all. Great. And again, we're here for you. So we're going to do a few questions, and then if there's time, we'll do more formal questions again. But let's do questions first. Go ahead. So he wants to hear about the evolution of Machinima. Well, yeah. I mean, I think all the companies that were on YouTube that that what happened with YouTube was, and most of those companies is that two things happen at once. One was that YouTube grew like crazy. There are over a billion people that use that platform. So we have never seen a video platform at that scale before. We all think of Comcast as a big business, 23 million subs, YouTube 1.1 billion people. And then, of course, the mobile phone came around, which was also a video-enabled device. So in terms of being able to generate giant audiences and brands, that happened way faster than people expected. A monetization happened slower, right, than, not slower than people expect, but just it came, it lagged a bit, uh, only because the, in some ways, the growth was so, so high. But now you're seeing the growth of native advertising, uh, and so you're seeing companies that are really turning profitable, vices profitable, awesomeness is profitable. There's a number of these companies that are already profitable and growing, and then there are these subscription models, uh, Crunchyroll, Drama Fever, these kind of vertical subscription models. Obviously, new companies like Vessel are launching uh, so there's a lot of activity around this OTT, the over-the-top uh, subscription models as well. Did that answer your question? Great. So crowdfunding as a viable option for a startup. What kind of startup? Is it something like crowdfunding like Kickstarter or, or is it for equity kind of thing? So a Kickstarter, what I've seen is they can have success building kind of prototypes and stuff, uh, but then they really need the funding to go and order you know, something to mass produce. So I think it's great to kind of get that first engagement and things like that, but you're still going to follow on. If you're going to do hard, you know, products, you're still going to need a lot of money from, from them here to, to scale that. Uh, I don't know. Does he get... But I think it's part of the equation, right? Crowdfunding, angel list. There's a, there's a number of these activities that are going on that allow you more access to capital faster and have really blown open the doors of the traditional people that you had to go to to get capital. So if, you, if you're especially in your category where you're building a product or you're like a company called Rooster Teeth that was recently acquired by Fullscreen, they raised a million and a half dollars for a movie they wanted to make or, you know, content they wanted to make. That stuff is very high risk. If you can actually do that, um, you know, through kind of crowdfunding, it's, it's definitely something to do, something to think about. Did that answer your question? Does it get messy sometimes? Go ahead. So I, I was going to say, I think crowdfunding becomes increasingly important for startups as time goes on, and we're just we're so, so early there right now. If you're specifically interested in the space, I would say to look at Swarm, which is a new style of uh, crowdfunding platform built on blockchain technologies so that um, really, I mean, I, I don't think you need traditional capital. I think that soon you'll be able to get it done with crowdfunding and there'll be reasons to opt for that even when even when VC firms are willing to fund. 
From content, services, and product, what is succeeding in LA the most? All of them. <laughs> yeah, well, it's kind of a blend. I would say con content meets technology. You know, it's, it's kind of the new order, if you will. I think there's a, there's there's definitely around that. But also, LA, look, even the honest company, there is this model of can we use celebrities? Can we use influencers? I mean, we probably have more key influencers in LA than any place in the world. Whether they're traditional ones, like say, you know, the music artists and, and that that have huge social platforms, or a lot of the key, you know, YouTube viners, a lot of them move here, right, because of the path there. So this kind of influence economy where you know, like like Brian Lee does this great job of putting companies together, a celebrity, boom. You know, that's that's a model that we're starting to see here. Uh, but certainly, you know, content companies as well. I mean, it's interesting. The irony is that Netflix is a great, great platform and has done really well. But at the end of the day, people want to see House of Cards and people want to watch Game of Thrones. I mean, this is very important. This is why this is a highly contented space. It's not just about the functionality. It's about the content and it's about the, the, the combined experience of making it convenient. You good? Does that answer your question? Great. What's the environment for social purpose corporations? So most of the people on this panel are professional investors that have investors that they need to return the capital on. So if you're looking for a, a social purpose that has a financial instrument that goes along with it, an uh, example of a company in town is Causecast, right? So there are companies who do that. Um, if you're looking for a do well but do good in a slightly different format that we're the wrong audience. But there are a lot of companies in town, like up and coming is a company called Omaze that is kind of in that space where they do well and do good. Um, so it's, it's always possible. But again, you need to know your investor because your investor has their own investors that need to respond. Well, I'd say there's a class of investors, and I would say probably a lot of the people on this panel and even in the companies that would look at the idea of can we do – can, can you create a great company that actually does does good things, right? And that and and I think that is a sweet. I talk about this a lot with with investors, which is would be great to, you know, are there opportunities out there where you can change the world or you can change something for the better in a way that's not just like sort of giving it giving it away, but having enough of an of a infrastructure change that it's a, that it's a company that can be profitable and be. Uh, you know, and do something, some, some social good. That, that, is, that is a sweet spot where you'll find a lot of uh, traditional venture type investors interested in, in, in that one. Did that answer your question? Great. So, did you had 200 engineers, true car. How'd you keep them here? You fed them. <laughs> well, yeah, it's called pizza. Um, Show them the beach. The, the, by far the best strategy to keep somebody hired for you is when they believe and they're right in believing that them staying with you is the best thing that they can do for their career. Yeah. And that usually requires really paying attention to what's good with their career and then act accordingly. So it, it requires leadership, basically. Um, in, the, in the macro level, I think what's happening and why this wave of startups is not going to go away. In other words, this is not a, yes, there's a tech boom to some degree, but, but besides the tech boom, there's an underlying current that in my mind is kind of indisputable, which is it used to be that you used to go to work for the man, right, the big company, and you got the paycheck, and you knew what it was, and you had job security, and that was part of why you went to, go, why you went to work there. That really doesn't exist today. So would you rather work for 
20% more salary for the guy that you hate working with or this exciting new startup that you can't wake up with work in the morning. And where we're making innovation is exactly there. And as long as you create an environment that you can't wait up to get in the morning and you're doing something special, then you get to retain talent. Awesome. And so... And it is harder to raise money here than in Silicon Valley. So, like, not only is it, you know, if you're here in L.A. and you're a Mexican woman, I guess, that's like the trifecta. It's going to be super hot. But, you know, it's all about the passion. And people can see the passion. Uh, a young woman, uh, what's the company, Laurel and Wolf, she walked into our office, she opened accounts, and now she's funded. Now she's got an A. And, you know, but, but you could tell that she was determined. She had a passion. She knew what she was going to fix. And she can articulate all those things very well. And, you know, she's on her way. By the way, in terms of like, you know, where it's harder to get funded, one of the things that's, I think, really positive about L.A. now, I mean, some of the people on the panelists may not love this, but for seed investors and early stage investors, we're seeing what, where does the follow-on capital come on? And this was one of the big problems here for a long time. And now we're actually seeing more and more Sand Hill Road type of companies. The Andreessen Horowitz are investing here, the Benchmarks and the Red Points and all of those companies. And that's actually for the community important because we need follow-on capital. We need risk takers. I think you made a really great point here. We, the, one, the one issue with LA for a long time is the entertainment industry has set up a pay me now. For what's this equity stuff? I don't care. Northern California is a lot more about the equity value. This is actually an issue. It's changing, right? Because a lot of music artists are saying, I don't make any money on revenue from Spotify, but those guys made a billion dollars when they sold Beats because the equity value in internet companies tends to outpace the revenue you can actually make from it. So the culture here has, has historically been more, write me a big check for me to do something. I don't believe in the equity value uh, of what's going on. That's a different culture in Northern California, but it is changing from that perspective. I think the only, the second part I think that, that, that connects to this is that Northern California, you ask whether we could ever beat Silicon Valley, they have huge companies like Apple, Facebook, Twitter, with thousands of employees, all of which start to make a lot of money, and they can go start other companies. This kind of in, companies at scale in L.A. is the next big thing. There's a lot of interesting companies that get to 100 people, 200 people, but are there the 15,000-person companies? Are there enough of them? Is there enough turnover for that? As we start to do that, like Snapchat could be a great example of that, that is really going to create a lot of more entrepreneur opportunities. So we, we need that to happen here. So one last question. So do you think every startup is now becoming a content production company? Well, I mean, I think we're seeing the platforms are more focused than ever. Facebook, Twitter, you know, obviously Snapchat's introduced video. Uh, Facebook's taking uh, video very seriously. You know, if you think about it from the, from the television perspective, one of the things that added a lot of value were the networks, right? There's a difference between being a content creator, a studio even, and a network, right, which is really in the audience business and the brand business. I personally believe that those models, in fact, are way more valuable in the entertainment business. ESPN is, is incredibly valuable to Disney, more so than its studio in some ways. Um, and then, uh, so I think that those kind of brands like the Vices and those kinds of things will end up having more value because they... They, they're programming brands. They're, they're, they stand for something. They have an audience. They, they resonate. Uh, it's, it's, you know, just being a pure content creator as an individual is, 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 a, is more challenging. Now, there, there can be a lot of influencers, but that doesn't necessarily scale beyond uh, the influencer. So I think that's still kind of the same thing where, you know, we can think about it, the, the first wave of broadcast 
networks, and then the second wave were the cable networks, and now we have Netflix and Hulu, Vice, and all those. And I think that's that's where a lot of the value will go to consumer platform. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Great. Also, I, I think we as consumers have never had more power to to create, to distribute, and to consume content. I mean, that could literally be a Yelp review, right? I can now go to Yelp and, and I can sort of hold that over, not that I should, but I'll hold that over a restaurant owner if, if I don't get, you know, the experience I expect. Um, it's, you know, to the point around female entrepreneurs or just entrepreneurs in general, uh, you, you know, great example of, of a self-made female entrepreneur is Michelle Pham. I mean, she's crushing it. And now she has a company on top of that, Ipsy, right? And so uh, it's, it's, it's the power is really being given to us and, and it's and it's in part as a result of these platforms and it's, it's, it's up to all of us to do something about it. And if you have a question that didn't get answered, I'm not kidding. I'm absolutely committed to your success. Just email me. It's spree at wearelatech.com, and I'll make sure to get an answer for you. I promise you. Like, I, I, I really want you to get everything that you came here for. One thing to add to that, most of us want to give our time more than we typically are able to. So usually find somebody who has as much time as you need because they do exist out there. And it's not because people don't want to help. You just need to find them. And uh, I'm at Esprit Devora on Twitter. I want to thank Dethrone Basecamp and Emporium Thai for being here today. I hope you'll be working out with me with uh, uh, Dethrone. And mostly... I want to thank TechZulu. I've been with TechZulu for several years now, and I'm really proud. I, it's run by Efren, and he is the most inspiring entrepreneur, and I'm so grateful to be his teammate and happy to have the opportunity to share my night with you. So thank you for being here. Efren's going to say thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for coming tonight.